What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? It is your resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and we are already here in week eight, technically moving down the back half of the fantasy regular season. Let's not waste any time. Uh, I've got a good guest on here today. He's a friend of the family. He's actually our second guest in a row from four for four in Bettsburgs, uh, and that is the man, John Daigle. John, what's going on, brother? On for the third consecutive year. I believe as well. You honestly probably just dip into your friends though. Once we get to the mid season end of the year point. So I'm happy to be a friend. I, I try to mix it on. I try to get some people that I genuinely don't, that, that I try to like use the platform to elevate. Uh, then sometimes people like this, just as they want to hear the guys like Evan Silver or JJ or Matthew mm-hmm. Harmon. And then like, sometimes like you just want to riff with your buds and uh, you're, you and I have hung out multiple times in person. Uh, you're also out here putting a lot of work in. We do another show together. That's on Roto grinders that you can check out where we talk strictly DFS with our buddy Dean. But uh, I, I know what we're going to get here. Pretty consistent, especially with how long you and I have been doing this. Uh, A lot of times, like, you know, our numbers even overlap, like, especially as someone like myself, who was basically mentored by Evan Silva, um, you know, we we all research and look from different departments until True Media came into play. And then now you've unlocked the matrix for sharp football and see just a world beyond the rest of us plead. So no, everything's going really well. And I just like chopping it up with you. Oddly enough, We haven't, though, ever watched Sunday football together because clearly our schedules don't allow for that or fun during the season. I think the only football we've ever watched together was you made me watch a half of an XFL game. (laughs) And only a half because you told me to turn it off. It was rough, man. I don't remember who the quarterback was. (laughs) The closest we've come is that we were on the rooftop bar across from brown stadium i can't remember the bar name and i cannot remember when it was but it was summer 32 is that's it it. let's support small businesses because that's a cool place too looking over that ain't a small business (laughs) looking over the stadium though but honestly football wasn't even being played then it was the summer so that's the closest we've actually been yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. So, yeah, always chop it up with you is a good time. Uh, well, let's just jump into it, man, because it actually was a pretty, like, eventful, you know, weekend in terms of news, and yeah. we're getting more news already this week. So we've got kind of a lot to cover, and we, like, it's the middle of the, the fantasy season. We're still in buys. There are only two teams on by this week, but at least they have good players, right? Like, we're recalibrating because Mahomes is on by, Travis Kelsey's on by, the – resurrection of juju smith schuster's on by Mm -hmm. justin herbert thankfully is on by so i have to grind through another 50 uh pass attempt game where he throws for six yards for pass attempt. but (laughs) big mike would have been on by anyways because he's hurt but big mike's out austin eckler's out gerald everett has been like a weekly starter for everybody so there are guys out this week even with only two teams being on by um let's kick it off though with someone that was part of the news last week everyone kind of got uh their takes out last thursday night when he was traded was Christian McCaffrey. We only seen Christian McCaffrey, you know, get there on Friday in San Francisco. He barely played. People kind of didn't know what to do with him in that game. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of questions because he hardly played in that game and people wanted to know what to do with him this week as well. Uh, give me the top down take on Christian McCaffrey, how you feel about his move going to the San Francisco 49ers and what that's going to do. You can take it in any direction, whether it be Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk, whatever. And then specifically this week, because the 49ers have another thereby next week. And it could be one of these things. Are we going to have to wait two weeks for him to like, really be like the Christian McCaffrey we remember, or are we even going to get that after that? The buy is what really throws a wrench into this. Otherwise I would say he might be unleashed a lot further. He was the RB 34 on just 10 touches this past game, 28% of snaps. The biggest impact was what happened behind him because I know a lot of us in redraft leagues were faced with the decision, do we actually drop Elijah Mitchell from our our, our slots? Uh, Jeff Wilson, who handled a season low, 37% of backfield touches, and we expect that to only decrease every week as Christian McCaffrey learns the playbook. I think so. Like If you want to hold Wilson as a contingency stash, because there are so many of them. And sometimes it seems like people actually get more excited about stashing the backup than playing the starter. Uh, You can do that. And then, of course, once Mitchell returns, you drop Jeff Wilson. It is then Mitchell as a contingency option. But overall, uh, I would guess we're over, in my opinion, 50% of snaps. That may not be what someone wants to hear if he's their RB1, but 50% of snaps, I would guess, this upcoming game. And then we'll see what happens. What's really interesting for Debo is that 
He, of course, suffers his hamstring injury last week. But before then, it's kind of gone unnoticed that the rushing usage has disappeared. He doesn't have more than two carries for a full month now in any game, four consecutive games, as just a wide receiver. And now injured, we expect him to be held out to get healthy over the bye. Uh, George Kittle running a route on over 90% of dropbacks, but mostly because the past two weeks have been some kind of negative game script where they have to thrust him in and use him. So overall, it's just really interesting usage for the 49ers. And I'm curious to get your take on what you think about McCaffrey before the bye, because after the bye, we don't worry, right? RB3 Mm -hmm. in points per game. Uh, in the Panthers offense that was running a historically low place per game. They're actually on pace for the fourth fewest plays per game in the last decade. And so th- the fact that people came out with takes that were not proposing like pro Christian McCaffrey is still so insane to me. Yeah, that's the camp I was in. You know, I tweeted uh, about it that night and y'all got a lot of pushback. You know, Shanahan doesn't throw to his running backs. There's not enough targets and touches to go around. And, you know, it's like, how how can we really treat, like, leaving the construct of the 2022 Carolina Panthers <laughs> as, like, a negative for, like, any, anybody, right? That was, like, my thought. Like, you've got, like, this great uh, – you've got this great talent going to just a supremely better environment uh, in terms of scoring points. I mean, one of my favorite stats I, from last week is that Chris McCaffrey has already played as many snaps inside the 10-yard line than he – did with the Carolina Panthers through seven weeks. That's amazing. Uh, which which is amazing. Uh, he's just gonna have a lot more opportunities to score. And we saw like they, he even got the two. He had, he had two catches on his snaps. Like he can still get to five, six catches plus. They're gonna find ways to give him the football. Uh, this is a team that is schemes up. You know, open targets for Kyle Uzcheck. You know, uh, you know, almost once a week. So I think that you know Kyle Shanahan is gonna be able to do some things with Christian McCaffrey. He's gonna get the run behind Big Trent Williams over there on the left side. Uh, yeah, I believe it's a pro this week in general. The, the buy does throw me like for a little bit loop. Like, will there still be some kind of a split? Right. And then do we see from like week 10 on, like he just is dominating the backfield because we did see Jeff Wilson play. We saw Tyrion Davis price kind of get on the field for a couple yeah. snaps as well. Um, does it, does it happen? But the 49ers though are in a bind here, right? Like they've got to start winning football games. So that's what I think accelerates this thing. Like th- they need this game. Uh, when you look at the hodgepodge that is the NFC West, they can go uh, and, and have a two-game like heads-up advantage on the Rams. They've already beaten the Seahawks, uh, and they haven't played the Cardinals yet. So like they still control their own fate, and this is like a pretty big game on the construct of the 49ers season. Uh, and I think they're going to want to have their best football players available to play. Uh, that is very narrative-y, but like uh, this is this is why they made the trade, and this is the kind of spot that I believe that they're in the overall best take is still the one you mentioned about the 49ers not throwing to their running backs. Like it happened a lot before then, but if you didn't learn that an elite player at their position, like Rob Gronkowski and the Bruce Arians narrative of not throwing to his tight ends actually changes the fact you will throw to your elite player. uh, You're just never going to learn. Like it's Christian McCaffrey. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And those are things like when I was coming up in the fantasy industry, I made that mistake. And you know, sometimes you still almost get into that that uh, trap as well but like one of the biggest things i've ever learned is that you know players dictate usage more than specific schemes do uh you try to marriage the two in your analysis but when you start with the coordinator and don't factor in the players that they had like you can get on some really really like dark tracks and like really start going down the wrong road and start to like fall in love with guys like garrett graham or something right? right like over the years and like they're just bad players like it's just because like uh you know, a, a, a good tight end was drawing targets doesn't mean a bad tight end is going to draw targets. And with Shanahan himself, we did this narrative when George Kittle was a thing, right? People were like, you can't draft Shanahan tight ends. They're terrible. It's like, yeah, they all were bad football players. And then uh, you see what happens. There used to be the old Shanahan X wide receiver narrative. Remember that? Like, you have to get Shanahan's X wide receiver narrative because <laughs> Pierre Garçon caught 180 passes one year where, like, all the Washington Redskins died. There, and, <laughs> there's also the opposite narrative that we've even seen recently recent where uh you have to explain the coaching narrative um and like understand that uh, no actually like the coaches are going to make the wrong decision because it's this coach like on the waiver wire like three weeks ago i was preaching that latavius murray would emerge as like a rb3 or four for whatever a backfield timeshare in the broncos backfield will give you 
I was saying, okay, well, he will actually play. And everyone was down saying it's Mike Boone. And my argument was no, because it's Nathaniel Hackett. Like it's Latavius Murray. So sometimes you do have to take a step back and understand like that is also our job. That's part of the analysis is saying, actually, he's going to make the incorrect move. And the incorrect move is getting Tavis Murray involved. <laughs> yeah, the the, the some the, the non-rational coaching move. Correct. Uh, yeah, which we see Nathaniel Hackett. That was actually you know a good bet because you know bank and Nathaniel Hackett do something suboptimal. Exactly. Uh, this as, is why as, this is why I thought AJ Green <laughs> would play over Robbie Anderson on last Thursday. And to we get half King- of it right. To give Kingsbury some credit, yes, he he did do the correct thing. So good for him. We have to say good things about him whenever he, the rare instance pops up where he does a correct move. Yeah, I, I think we'll see Robbie Anderson play a lot too. Uh, yeah. Let's let's kind of keep that theme going, and we'll circle back to the team Christian McCaffrey left. But uh, James Robinson was just traded uh, yesterday to the Jets. Uh, what are we expecting now for James Robinson himself? The Jets' backfield rest this season moving forward. Uh, and then you can spin it and dig just kind of how you're treating Travis Etienne rest of the season as well. You have to remember that last year, the this same coaching staff didn't want to give Michael Carter the ball as a true mm-hmm. workhorse either. Uh, it took Tevin Coleman missing games for Carter to see over 70% of the backfield touches. Everyone forgets that. The reason Austin Walter was a thing in 2021 is because Tevin Coleman was injured and the team, the, the coaching staff did not trust Michael Carter. And so I think that's what James Robson brings to the table of running back on early downs. Uh, Michael Carter is still an exceptional player, but at the same time, short term, amazing, even though we still expect uh, Bill Belichick to eat Zach Wilson's lunch here. And then long term, though, I bet James Robson works in more. <laughs> oddly enough, as the Latavius Murray of the Jets. So I still want to be higher on Michael Carter, but what he can deliver around this offense, I have questions about this offense as a whole anyways. Like it's taking Corey Davis getting out of the way and it's just a day-to-day injury for Corey Davis. But really like if he comes back, what does everyone give us? Because what they're giving us right now are players that are just scratch off tickets. Like you can start Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, if you want to, but you can't give any reasonable uh, reason to actually start them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's another, you know, take to get from you too as well. So the Jets, under the current way they've won football games the past month, I don't think really anyone believes it's sustainable, not even Jets fans, although at mm-hmm. Twitter they might tell you a little bit otherwise. Uh, you know, but they're really hiding Zach Wilson. And ironically, that actually is worse for your quarterback. Like it puts him in worse spots. We've, that's the Jimmy Garoppolo experience, right? Like the 49ers have put Jimmy Garoppolo in spots where he has to throw by the nature of their offense. And when he has to throw, that's when he gets exposed. And that's kind of what we're seeing with Zach Wilson a little bit. But when you look at this from a top-down stance, you're like, man, Garrett Wilson, so much talent. Elijah Moore, so much talent. Corey Davis, solid player. Uh, they've got good players. And then you look down the road and you look at this playoff schedule and you see Lions, Jaguars, Seahawks. Uh, are, are you holding out any hope that like some of the wide receiver talent can prevail here? Uh, are, you, are you trying to hold on to these guys in the leagues? Are you saying, like, you know what, don't even worry about it. You can drop them. The issue is that, Garrett Wilson, those first three games from Joe Flacco had pop. Remember, like in his last two starts with Joe Flacco, he totaled 24 targets. Um, but now from week four on, he's hasn't seen lower than four targets in any game, but he also hasn't seen more than six in any contest as the targets continue to get spread out. It was Corey Davis actually leading in target share as well from Zach Wilson, maybe because the rapport they had last year together. Last year, uh, Corey Davis averaged a 21% target share and seven and a half targets per game and Zach Wilson's uh, starts as well. But overall, if all three are moving forward here, I would love to get your take on it because I genuinely don't think so. Like, I don't think even the schedule can help us. Um, yes, like a team like the Lions may struggle to get pressure, but that's really the bugaboo here since Zach Wilson is 5 of 31 under pressure for 1.7 yards per attempt. Yeah, and, and that also I think ties into what I was said. It's like how much of Zach Wilson's almost pressure versus non-pressure stats yeah. are just correlated to like – being like in obvious throwing situations, right? Like, because they're not throwing on first down, they're only throwing in obvious pass spots and teams know that, right? Like they kind of know what they're doing. And also when you look at the schedule wise too, you see Lions, Jaguars, Seahawks. Well, like 
what if they can win those games the way they're winning games now, right? Like, so it, it, there's a give and a take. Yeah, the schedule is good from a matchup perspective, but if they're still if they're able to win games with defense, running game, and things like that, like you know, that still exists in the range of outcomes as well. Do you think though? replacing Brees Hall is easier said than done, uh, you know, especially with a guy like James Carter, because when you look at like the underlying metrics, like what Brees Hall was doing, basically top five and like all these rate sets, like EPA per run, like rate of touchdown and first down per carry, like Michael Carter's at the bottom of the league, James Robinson's on the bottom of the league. Are they going to be able to still throw Michael Carter and James Robinson at the wall? And, and mind you too, they also lost Elijah Vera Tucker for the season uh, last week as well. Uh, are they even going to be able to sustain playing this style of football that they've been successful with? I personally don't think so. The, as you mentioned, the pop, the explosiveness Brees Hall brings to the table is the real issue here. Um, Again, I expect Michael Carter to step in as the receiving back and that's how we're going to get a floor. And as you know, from sharp football subscriber chats, uh, the start sits about running backs, like the landscape for every position really has been bad unless you have a top four quarterback, but really like running back after the top 12, maybe even earlier than that, um, you get into some ugly situations. So that's why naturally Latavius Murray rises to the top naturally, like the Panthers running backs rise to the top. And so I think Michael Carter, like, yeah, he, he really can be a low end running back two in PPR leagues for his receiving floor, all because the landscape is so bad. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and we're all there in fantasy. You know, I never really yeah. kind of, when you get that, those start sick questions, you just like, oh, because you always think of the top. You're like, well, how did you end up in that spot? And then, you know, I'll pull up a roster that I have and I'm like, oh, yeah, my RB2 spot's not looking very good here. <laughs> you know, we're, we're trying to make some things happen, you know. I've with, started um, Craig Reynolds in a couple leagues already. Like, they, <laughs> it tells you how bad this landscape is right now. Yeah, yeah, get out the popsicle sticks and glue. We're trying to make some things happen. Uh, some guys who kind of maybe – were picked up reluctantly last week, you know, when Chris, in the wake of Christian McCaffrey's exit, uh, Chupa Hubbard, Deontay Foreman, everyone's kind of like, Oh, are we even excited to plug these guys in? And those dudes go for 218 yards on 28 touches against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much stock are you putting into uh, what those two guys did last week, you know, kind of moving forward, how you would handle moving forward. Uh, let's just assume in the snowball chance in hell, like, one of those guys wasn't picked up in, in a league last week. So everyone just said, you know, I'm not touching it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, and they're on waivers this week. Like, how are you handling, you know, bidding on those guys? Are you going aggressive? Uh, you, who do you believe in big picture there? Like, just give me the Carolina backfield spiel. Fab suggestion is also something I do in my waiver column, but it's such a tricky waters to navigate because you're trying to speak to thousands and thousands of people uh, and you only have like one reference mark and a percentage. So Mm -hmm. it's really tough. But first off, my unpopular opinion is that I would actually pick up Chuba Hubbard over Deontay Foreman, just given the usage we saw. Um, Hubbard actually out-carried Foreman nine to six before he got injured on those last two possessions and out-targeted him three to two as the third down back as well. And so I want Hubbard over Foreman, first of all. And then second, I guess at remaining fab, let's say it's a $100 fab league, I'm thinking 10 to 20%, honestly, because I don't want to go overboard. This is not Ken Walker. This is not Gus right. Edwards, let's say, who's also on some waiver wires. Uh, again, Christian McCaffrey, RB3 in this offense, but he was also a bell cow in this offense, handling over 90% of carries and running back targets, whereas these two are now sharing for the same volume of offense. And so unless it's like the, the best run out possible, which a 21 to 3 game script is, I just genuinely don't know how many weeks these two get there. So like after Tua had that blow-up game against the Ravens, and then everyone was asking, how much fab? Like, do I just blow the bank here? It's like, let's. All, my job is to calm you down and say uh, a Panthers backfield sharing touches will not get there every week. Uh, they won't be the RB13 and RB18. Everyone calm down. Yeah, yeah, but most definitely. Um, you know, the, the, this team, that when you look at it, too, how they're left with the talent post-Christian McCaffrey and post-trade of Robbie Anderson – uh, one thing I think I underestimated or just thought would be stagnant was, you know, hey, man, like the situation is just too bad for for old Dennis and Moore Jr. to overcome. And <laughs> last week, 
Seven of ten targets he, he reeled in. Still had the 69 yards. The touchdown was an anchor, but you know, he, he got 48% of team targets. That's obviously not going to be something that that stands the test of time over the course of the season. But can we at least like instill some faith as uh in DJ Moore as like being like a, at least like a, a weekly floor-based wide receiver three? And is like this situation he runs into this week just like too good to pass up, or are we gonna get like totally lucid with football here? Charlie Brown. <laughs> I think it's a great week. Long-term, we obviously think the target share, as you mentioned, is going to decrease. Unless he wants to go out and sustain a 48% target share, uh, doubt it can happen, but whatever. But this week in particular, I think it's an amazing spot against the Falcons. Like, Yes, their their defensive stats are boosted because Joe Burrow just – sat down and drank my ties for an entire game against them. But at the same time, at 12.8 yards per target to opposing wide receivers, uh, a league high 11 receiving scores um, as well allowed to opposing wideouts. And so DJ Moore's target share in this spot, I actually think is pretty immaculate, at least short term, long term, you're still taking the floor. I would still actually call him a wide receiver three rather than a wide receiver two, but in most leagues, that's a player you can still start or flex every single week. Yeah, and you know, you know the the Atlanta run out too. I mean, they they've just had so many injuries in the back end. You yeah. put Casey Hayward on IR two weeks ago. AJ Terrell leaves last week's game with a hamstring injury. Looks like he's probably not going to go. Um, yeah, it looks like another good run out here for Deniston to kind of at least even if he doesn't get the the forty eight percent target share. Like if he gets like 35 percent, like he's going to be able to cook with something here. Uh, even if the, the the touchdown doesn't come, you know, at least to have a floor in these full point PPR leagues. So we still can't count on like him to catch like eight touchdowns the rest of the way. Like that's not going to happen. Uh, PJ Walker is three of six throwing 20 yards deep. Watch out. Yeah. I mean, three of six. That's the, what we're going to Hey, they did let him throw the football downfield uh, this week, which was nice. He can do it. Uh, made some nice throws in that in that game as well, and uh, one too that Terrence Marshall that Terrence Marshall didn't have uh, could even have been a better game for. Uh, but you know, at the same Junior. time, Terrence Marshall being on the opposite side or starting alongside <laughs> DJ Moore is the argument for DJ Moore. Right, and I mean, you look at their pass catchers; they're left with guys like Tommy Tremble and Terrence Marshall and Shy Smith. I mean, it is it is extremely thin. Uh, we've seen some bad runouts. We we obviously we've all joked about like the Bears situation and like what the Packers might be coming with to, on Sunday night uh, and Tom, what they have to feel. But these guys, you, what's you that? Didn't get me, you didn't get me on this show to say this, but Tommy Trimble, who's also route participation, continues increasing. Like season high, season highs in four consecutive games now, and that touchdown recently. Uh, the, like, these guys have. I mean, they have to play these guys at this point. They also are fun. Like they're, they're Uber athletes. Like they're fun to watch play. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like, it's kind of like the, the movie major league. Like none of these guys really have anything to play for. Like the coach, they're already, the coach is probably getting fired. Right. Like it's, they're, they're just not moving the just, team. Right. <laughs> just got to go out and win the whole effing thing, Rich. That's yeah, all we that, do. That's kind of what we saw last week. Right. You know, they beat the bucks. They stopped the bucks. Like it wasn't even a game. Like they didn't just beat the, they didn't just win the game. Like uh, they they stopped the Bucks. The Bucks yep. were it was it was open and shut. Uh, yeah, but one of the the, the more interesting things, uh, more uh, interesting. I actually stayed away from the 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 Bucks last week in my uh, pick a loser pool because uh, I thought mm. a lot of people would just pick the Panthers, and I was like, screw it, I'm not going to do it. And luckily, I stayed away and it knocked uh, we, a bunch of people out. We did too. Um, I am still in with uh, quite a few, a handful of partners in the. Circa a survivor contest, the very big one. We're still oh, hanging around, yeah. which like which feels like a, a lottery at the beginning of the season, but we're right there at the very end now. And that's what you're picking winners, right? Yes, you only pick the winner, but this year, as we know, picking a winner has been next to impossible, and yet we're still in, in week eight. Yeah, yeah. I love the the loser dynamic the pick a loser dynamic ones. Ooh. I still have the Panthers left in one. Okay, well, that's your, that's your one game back, Panther, so be careful. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, now I'm scared to pick against them, so, <laughs> um, yeah. I had uh, three spots, and the Steelers knocked me out in the other two. Uh, it's, I, had the, I picked the Bengals in week one, and the Steelers, both their wins knocked me out. And uh, I had Bucks uh, to beat the Steelers in a uh, different slot and uh, lost both those teams at the Steelers. <laughs> Pretty you terrible. You should have waited until uh, Kenny Pickett was under center. 
that was your mistake. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I got you on before the Thursday game. I, I don't get a lot of guests on before the Thursday game. Uh, last week, we saw Gus Edwards come back. You already brought him up uh, a little bit ago, you know, kind of come back off the ACL injury. And I honestly was hesitant. I was telling people to play things cautiously. You know me Same. anyways. Uh, I, I don't like playing guys that just return from an injury. Uh, but I thought, especially with them being so close to what happened with J.K. Dobbins, would be give even the Ravens even more hesitancy to throw Gus Edwards kind of back into the fire. I mean, hell, even the week before, Kenyon Drake ran for 11 yards per carry. Uh, but immediately, Gus Edwards came in and, and dominated early down touches in this backfield, 16 carries, uh, had the two touchdowns. Uh, is it a situation with Gus Edwards, uh, say he was available this week, and obviously, you know, Fab's already, or, you know, waiver wire's already run, but, you know, what are you thinking about Gus Edwards' big picture uh, for the rest of this season? We don't have to get into the weeds on what's going to happen tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night, but generally just big picture, how confident are you in Gus Edwards, you know, being fantasy relevant the rest of the season? I like Gus Edwards significantly more than the Panthers running backs. Um, I actually think Gus Edwards is more like the poor man's version of Ken Walker. Like it's an offense we do want to be tied to. And I think there is more meat on the bone and room to grow here. Like, as you mentioned, J.K. Dobbins had seven touches in his debut. That's why Mm -hmm. I also was too hesitant to, to even play Gus Edwards in DFS, right? In a week where we needed, we were trying to spin down, which is why Zeke got popular on FanDuel in particular for the touchdowns. I wanted to play Edwards in a beautiful spot against the Browns, but I was still hesitant in how they handled J.K. Dobbins. But to still get 16 carries on just 36% of the snaps, and of course also handled two or three touches, two of the team's three running back touches inside the 10-yard line, I think everyone was attributing his performance, the results the two touchdowns, like too much into the reason why you should be fading him instead of saying he actually got that usage in his first game back and only 36% of snaps with Kenyon Drake behind him. Like I want to be much higher on Gus Edwards. So like I what I suggested in my column actually was 75% of remaining fab because I think he's a weekly RB2. I understand the targets won't be there since with Lamar Jackson now, the Ravens have been bottom five in the league and targeting their backfield. But, you want that workhorse with J.K. Dobbins now, basically out for the entire fantasy season. And so, yeah, I'm splurging on Edwards. Yeah, and J.K. Dobbins, uh, totally droppable, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, I mean, because you got to figure even if when he comes back. like Four to six weeks by week. And when he comes back, this is the part that no one ever talks about. Like, uh, when he comes back, can you start him? And the answer is probably no. Right. Uh, we're trying to get things in order that like we're in the back half of fantasy season. You have to calibrate for your buys and, you know, win your weeks, but we're also really kind of keeping an eye forward and trying to get an optimal roster that we can put out in the fantasy postseason now. And like you said, when are you ever going to be uh, in a spot where you, you're going to say in that run out, like you're going to lean on JK Dobbins, right? Like, Honestly, you might be better off throwing him out there and letting someone else eat a roster spot. <laughs> and, 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 you know. and we've seen that, the designated like you open the window for 21 days but you don't necessarily bring them back Mm -hmm. on that 7 to 14 day span and that's also what usually like bolsters players and people don't realize like oh they can hold them out even longer yeah we saw that today the rams opened the 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 21 day window for window for kyron williams Mm -hmm. uh i don't know if you included him into the column this week i mean he's he's someone like you're looking to grab uh this is another situation where you look at it from a top-down stance like carolina you're like this is gross like none of these running backs have been good all year they can't run the football but he's a running back kyron williams is fine but again uh McFay already came out and said that he's going to be out week eight. Yes. And so I, I still lean Daryl Henderson, even though there's a reason why they're trying to play Malcolm Brown, Ronnie Rivers, um, <laughs> and, and Kyron Williams is because like they've run down the Daryl Henderson path before. Like the whole reason they went into a timeshare to start the year was because Daryl Henderson has never stayed healthy. He didn't stay healthy at Memphis either. Like this has been his bugaboo. He's an, he's an amazing player, um, explosive player, if he can stay healthy, but chronic ankle injuries have haunted him throughout his career. And so 
the the buy is what's interesting for the Rams because they could come out and throw anything at us. Like McFay is a person who will change up everything on you to be successful. Uh, remember their Super Bowl run last year. Those first two months of the season, we genuinely thought like they wouldn't make the playoffs at all, and then they just changed everything around. So I'm very curious to see if like they lean on Allen Robinson. Um, what happens with Van Jefferson? But if you told me to pick one, I'm still picking Daryl Henderson over Kyron Williams. Yeah, and they, they are going to trust. They do trust Daryl Henderson to a degree in, in some high leverage spots. That's the one thing as bad as he's been. Like they've always found a way to use him either near the goal line or in passing situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rams definitely are a team I'm really looking forward to checking out this weekend. Right to see like if like especially you said coming out of the bye. What did they try to calibrate? So it's like they're never they can't fix this offensive line. Like that's something they can't fix. But they do have Matthew Stafford. They said they're getting Van Jefferson back. Are they able to get more downfield, you know, shots right now? I mean, right now Allen Robinson leads their team in downfield targets, and it's only 13.8% of his targets. Last year, Van Jefferson, 23% of his targets were on targets 20 or more yards downfield. So just kind of what are they going to come out of the bye? What are they going to be able to find that works? What did they work on? I'm really excited to see them, especially because it's a really good test too, right? Like in a must-win game basically versus the 49ers. So I'm very excited to watch the Rams. And six of Stafford's eight interceptions this year have come from a clean pocket. Like, how do you clean that up as well? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I've been saying the same thing is that I can't wait to see what McFay throws at the window and just hopes it sticks this week. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I mean, because when we left off before the bye, I mean, they, they beat the Panthers, but like there was a stretch of that game game where like that game was a little closer than it needed to be at any point as well too so yeah i'm very interested to see because i mean even when you look at the from a fantasy stance even cooper cup as good as he's been for fantasy and you know he has a chance to tie the all one of it's an arbitrary record but for the most consecutive games with 15 or more ppr points uh patrick mahomes is the all-time record uh but you know it can be tied by Cooper Cup this weekend, but even Cooper Cup's like peripheral stats, he's just getting by because of of the volume. But even last year, like he's almost lost what three three yards per catch off of his rate from last year. He's averaging uh, two full yards per target fewer than he did last year. Mm-hmm. Like even he like hasn't been as good of a player. They're just the, the only successful plays they've run are like seven yard passes to Cooper Cup. Um, but yeah, like this has been a really tough go for the Rams and I'm really excited to kind of see what they do here. Uh, one guy that hasn't been exciting, uh, outside of two weeks, I should say he has been exciting a little bit, uh, is Aaron Jones. You know, we keep doing this thing with Aaron Jones, uh, where he, everyone watching understands he's the best player in their offense. And then the Packers don't realize that and we saw two weeks ago he had this huge spike in target uh backfield touches and then they immediately go back to where aj dylan out touches him last week it's back to aaron jones he looks amazing we finally had the game everyone circled in Devonte adams with the night he was traded everyone started bringing up all these splits with aaron jones look at all these catches aaron jones had about Devonte adams and throughout the course of the season you look at his receiving lines three catches or fewer in every game until last week, he catches nine of 10 targets. Uh, these receivers are all sorts of banged up coming into Sunday night. Is this the the inflection point for Aaron Jones where everyone starts to get the run out they expected, or is this going to be fleeting again? You need to give yourself some more credit because you've been on top of this all offseason. Uh, I think we were actually at Silva's having a few beers one time, and you were ranting in the backyard why you didn't understand why everyone was so high on Aaron Jones because of the success he has only when he scores touchdowns. And we're seeing that again, to your point this year, um, he scored his touchdowns in two games this year. He finishes a top five running back in those other games that he did not score a touchdown. He was outside the top 19 running backs and half, half PPR leagues. So it's the same thing. Is he going to score a touchdown? Um, but at least the usage changed this past game. Aaron Rodgers asked to simplify things. Aaron Rodgers says a lot of things, by the way, nowadays. Uh, that, that <laughs> not, a, he doesn't have a lot to say these days. That That is a man who, uh, it's always fun to hear his insights, uh, I think so, um, about football whenever they're winning. But then take that same personality when they're losing. And uh, he has lots of opinions. But what we saw after he asked to simplify things was Aaron Jones had a season high, not just in targets, as you mentioned, um, 10 targets, but at season high, 28% target share. He ran around on 71% of dropbacks and he handled 81% of their running back touches. The, the dog, 
the football guy in me still thinks whenever the the winter creeps up here in a couple of weeks in Green Bay, like they won't have a choice but to play A.J. Dillon more. But right now, I do think it's just primarily Aaron Jones's backfield and hope for those touchdowns and half PPR standard leagues. Yeah, t- tough spot Sunday night, but uh, if you figure if they're going to be in a similar situation where they have to drop back and throw chase points against the Bills, like it would still be a run out for Aaron Jones to kind of operate in the same capacity. I so, don't think Patrick Taylor's sneaking in there. I think we'll be just fine with Aaron Jones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, what do you do with AJ Dillon if you have him? He's strictly a contingency bet, or you like you said, are you are you banking on when the weather starts to get cold? Because uh, you look you look at the Packers and the Bucks as bad as these last few weeks have been, and if you turn your team on all everyone is talking about is the Packers and the Bucks, mm-hmm. but uh, and we assume the Packers will probably lose this week again too, and the Bucks could lose tomorrow against the Ravens as well. But when you look at it from a big picture stance, like they're in the NFC, like both of these teams, the playoffs started, they would still be in. So, like, do you think AJ Dillon is still going to be uh, a thing? You know, when the weather gets cold and it's like playoff crunch time for the Packers. I know this is probably going to get me a few not my league bro mentions on Twitter, which are the worst, but, uh, and, and 10 team, like six player benches, which you and I deal with a lot of different leagues and people, they do exist. I'm fine dropping AJ Dillon in those leagues. Um, but in the deeper 12 team leagues, I'm holding on to him. You just clearly can't start him because neither you or I can guess his usage uh, for four consecutive weeks to open the year. His share of backfield touches and his target share dipped, decreased every single week. And then in week five, it hit a season low mark. Uh, he only had six touches, 28 and a half percent of the team's backfield touches the following week in week six he outtouched Aaron Jones out of nowhere after handling that season low usage. And then last week, again, with simplifying things, adding Aaron Jones to the mix, just four touches, 19% of the team's backfield touches. Uh, that alone explains that it's all over the place and it's a roller coaster. So the issue is that you don't know when to start him outside of best ball. You have no idea, but he's so good. If Aaron Jones were to get injured on getting more touches, you also want to keep him. So I personally just keep him as a contingency player, but I understand like a Kyle Pitts, if you have to move on. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I think he's more of a contingency bet. So let's talk about one other, one other big piece of news this week. And that came with the Colts announcing that they were no longer going to start Matt Ryan. They pulled the plug on this experience that clearly was not going well on any level. Uh, Sam Ellinger starting this week. You can talk about Sam Ellinger if you want, uh, but I kind of want to know your take on the Colts in general. Uh, You know, a lot of people have said like, well, are the Colts tanking? But what if I have Jonathan Taylor? How should I be treating things? What if I have Michael Pittman? What if I was hoping for Alec Pierce to break out? How are you handling the Colts now from a big picture perspective? I don't think you can be tanking when you're three, three and one, uh, especially after all the words we heard this command very clearly came from Ursay himself after he saw the corpse of Philip rivers, Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan come through those doors. He said, no more, Like I'm taking over and we decide if next year we're doing this again, or if we have a starting quarterback and a sixth round player who played four years Uh, for Sam Ellinger, I wrote in the waiver wire column, I do think he's actually really interesting, especially, again, I keep saying the word landscape because if you look at every position, it's bad uh, in fantasy football right now. It, it's mm-hmm. it's unfortunate. And so, like, of course, like if Daniel Jones is genuinely a top 12 player because he's adding nearly eight rushing points per game, that's all he needs, then, of course, Sam Ellinger, who the past two preseasons we've seen has averaged a scramble rate. He's run on 15.5% of his dropbacks um, in that span. And, like, we want that rushing floor. That's enough. And so I do think he's an interesting player for two quarterback and super flex leagues. But for like Alec Pierce, for Paris Campbell in particular, I think that's where the flip may script or flip because we saw Paris Campbell have back-to-back season highs in target shares after averaging a 7.5% target share through the first five games. Uh, but that was because they were trying to avoid the hits and interceptions, league high in interceptions, league high in fumbles that Matt Ryan was carrying along. And so now with a scrambling quarterback, I do wonder if that changes the plan now. Like if he is more prone to go deep and run the ball, and that's the way we play offense now, rather than hammering Deion Jackson and Jonathan Taylor with 10 and 8 targets. So uh, I actually think I want Alec Pierce over Paris Campbell now, whereas the past two games for Matt Ryan, I did want Campbell instead. 
And then Michael Pittman, I'm curious to get your thoughts because it's the deep targets and Matt Ryan, as we knew, only threw nine targets, 20 yards downfield all year. So in, does this change in your mind for Ellinger throwing deep? Yeah, I'm not sure about the deep ball with Ellinger. He still might be because he's, you know, his one of his big things in college was just like he he was really good at protecting the football, right? Like he didn't take a lot of chances. Uh uh, you know, he was he was 80th percentile of all prospects and touchdown to interception ratio. He he will not that's the one good thing about him is he he typically does not make mistakes. Uh I don't believe he threw an interception in either preseason, uh the last two years either, as well. So I don't know if he's going to take that many chances and give Pittman like those 50-50 balls that we know Pittman can win because uh, that really isn't his M.O. But uh, Pittman, I think, just has too much like of a, a target gap uh, insulation over mm-hmm. the field, right? Like he's still going to command so many more targets than just these other guys will in the offense because he's, so, he's that much better than them. I'm curious to see how much his usage changes because like I've talked about it for a couple weeks now on this show that they basically turned uh, this guy into Jacoby Myers. Like – he, he, all he does is run his hitches and, and drags like that's all we're getting. Uh, and now Jacoby Meyer, Joe, Kobe Myers is running the routes. We wanted Michael Pittman to run uh, in new England. Um, but yeah, his tar- longest target this year, still 17 yards downfield, no targets on 20 plus yards. Uh, but I still think the target insulation is going to at least keep him with a floor, but I don't think we're going to get anywhere close to the ceiling. We thought we were going to be able to get and achieve with Pittman uh, when he was going like, you know, around like the, the wide receiver one ish turn range. Um, even this week, I still see he's ranked there by the industry. So there's definitely still his optimism there, but I think he's going to be more of like a, a, a better floor player that you want in more full PPR leagues. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think he'll be more or less fine. Matchup's still good this week. Um, I've had three straight guests. And I've asked them all a question. Everyone wants to keep buying Jonathan Taylor. Eventually, when isn't he a buy anymore? Or are you still in? I, I still think I'm in. Um, yeah. It's the fact that we can still get him low, right? Like we are still we are still believing that the 75% of backfield touches he handled yeah. uh, before he got injured are sustainable. We still think he gets to that. And we know he was limited this past game. He only played 55% of snaps. Um, they took Deion Jackson out completely, five snaps, three routes, which we figured since Naheem Hines is just a better third down back. But overall, like Jonathan Taylor's Remember, Jonathan Taylor outsnapped Naheem Hines on third down as well before he got injured. And so overall, like that's the elite top three running back usage we want, top two even maybe. So overall, yeah, I still want Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I mean, he, he, in the you talk, bring up the running back landscape, like he's just getting the ball too much, like mm-hmm. to 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 say like no, I don't want like a guy that talented. Uh, and you know, Ellinger is a guy that his rushing uh, mobility. Uh, could open up this as well. I mean, that, that's kind of the big thing I thought the, the big takeaway with the Colts making this move was um, is that they're trying to – they're completely rudderless as an offense right now with Matt Ryan. They tried a couple things. They even tried to make this Matt Ryan thing work, right? Like we saw them really try to go no huddle, add passing volume uh, to the mix, be really aggressive the past two weeks from like a, a top-down perspective of throwing the ball football aggressively. Like it's just too hard. Like when you have an immobile quarterback and a bad offensive line and you're counting on having perfect drives, your quarterback doesn't make a mistake for eight to 10 plays. It's just a really hard way to live. And when you combine that with like the way teams are playing defense now in the NFL, you know, playing over the top coverage, like it, it just makes sense for them to try to, to try this at this point. And like I said, is the reason why they didn't go to Nick Foles and they're going to Sam Ellinger uh, is because the, it just adds a different dynamic to the offense. When you look at teams like the Falcons and the Giants, you know, the success that they've had overachieving, even more recently, the Bears. I mean, the Bears have three wins. Uh, you know, they, they all have these mobile quarterbacks. Are they perfect passers? No, but they're able to do something that these pure pocket passers can't do. And that uh, we were seeing a lot of guys struggle with pure pocket passers across the NFL landscape this season um, because of the construct of how teams are playing defense. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's a tank situation. We hope that it doesn't crater like some of the guys around the situation. Like we definitely don't want to run into like Giants and Falcons, like offensive situations, right? Because there's more talent here. And we've seen like good players in Drake, uh, Drake London and Kyle Pitts like are just getting burned uh, by the Falcons. We don't want that to happen either. But uh, uh, Ellinger may not be a one QB streamer, but I got Patrick Mahomes. I got Justin Herbert. I've got to reach in the bag this week. Uh, who who are your favorite QB streamers this week for people? 
I like Daniel Jones, if he's still available on your waiver wire. Uh, two top fin- 10 finishes this year, so he does have a ceiling. He's adding 7.4, to be exact, rushing points per game with his legs. Um, I would start him over Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. and I still think he's a better start than Matthew Stafford, actually, rest of season as well. If someone had him ranked over Tom Brady, I don't think I'd get there, but I don't think it'd be egregious. That's where Daniel Jones is. And more importantly, for the rest of the season, if you're trying to creep into the fantasy playoffs, which we all are, like look at the Giants' upcoming schedule, the Seahawks, the Texans, and the Lions. Like That's a path to get into the fantasy postseason if you're desperate in one quarterback leagues, which I know a lot of people are if they don't have the top four guys. So I love, love Daniel Jones. Uh, we talked about this. You mentioned earlier we do another show about the Saints quarterback because all these injuries the Saints have suffered has – led to them allowing 33 points per game and Andy Dalton's four starts that and Andy Dalton, the past two weeks in particular has averaged 39 pass attempts per game. So we want that volume against a Raiders defense, allowing a league high 27 fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks. At the same time, if Andy Dalton throws a couple picks, uh, we may not see him anymore. So that's my problem is that I do want to start Andy Dalton or James Winston. I just don't know which one it may be for four quarters. And then if Ryan Tannehill's ruled out. He did come out of his walking boot. But if he's ruled out, we saw Malik Willis record 11 scrambles on 71 dropbacks, 15.5% of his dropbacks this preseason. So that's another player, uh, again, chasing that rushing floor I'll be in on. Yeah, I love all his options. It's going to be a fun, I think, quarterback week or another continuation of just low scoring right. uh, out, output, output because all these guys uh, are kind of ranked. Any week I go over to like the industry rankings and I see guys like – Kirk Cousins like ranked as a top eight guy or like where Dak Prescott is right now. And I'm like, we're all down bad, baby. We're down bad. Like we're, we're going to have an open board this week, you know, and even guys like Kyler, right. Like who's consistently ranked as a top five guy by, cause we know like where the ceiling can be with him, but Mm -hmm. like consistently has not lived up to that kind of ranking uh, whatsoever on a weekly basis. Like, yeah, it's wide open uh, this week. Let's go to the other onesie position, the tight end position. I've got Travis Kelsey. I've got Gerald Everett. Uh, I lost David Njoku. Uh, What are we doing to try to make this thing work this week? There are actually quite a bit, honestly. Uh, Mike Jasicki, I I think his usage could stick here since we've now seen him run around the 73% of dropbacks the past two games. And more importantly, set season highs and target share in these back-to-back games, 20.5% this past week. Uh, Three end zone targets in that span as well. So I like him. K. Dotton is probably not available in deeper leagues. A lot of people caught on already, but in his two starts for Cam Brait, 78% route participation, six targets per game. Uh, Juwan Johnson, if Adam Troutman's out, let's just go right back to the well. Uh, maybe it doesn't result in two touchdowns again, but five and a half targets, 80% route rate. These pa- these two games where, where Troutman has been injured or limited in um, compared to the past three games when – Johnson was only averaging three and a half targets per contest. Uh, Trotman being out definitely matters. And then Harrison Bryant, you can do if you lost David Njoku. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Would you drop David Njoku? I, I think, you know, two to five weeks with a bye week is such a broad span, but maybe he's an explosive enough player that you would start him, even though it would be the fantasy playoffs by then. And he would have Deshaun Watson. So that's the hardest one for me. Like I'm on the fence about, do I drop David Njoku for one of these other guys? So we had this come up. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night and FFPC yeah. waivers run on Wednesday night. And we have David Njoku and we kind of ran through this. Like, are we going to try to hold him? Uh, you know, obviously format Deshaun Watson. I mean, the, the previous month he led all tight ends and receiving yards, all yep. tight ends. Like, uh, you know, he didn't have the touchdowns, but led them in receiving yards over 50 yards in each of the past four games. Uh, so we decided to at least hold on to him for now. We did, thought it was at least optimal to see us, but like it could be a situation where if it's this high ankle injury, like we've seen, like these guys t- typically underperform. I would say, like, if it was to pick up a guy like Gus Edwards or something like that, like I would have no problem dropping him. Like, well, hey, I- yeah, I think I, I completely agree with you. It sucks too because I have leagues where I was starting David Njoku over Kyle Pitts every week and like I wasn't yeah. even second guessing. It was the right move. And now it's like, well, I have Kyle Pitts on the bench, but also Kate Otten's on the waiver wire. So uh, I think I know the move I need to make. I'll put it but- this way. I mean, there, that is a specific scoring system and climate yeah. that like is enticing to hold. 
but like there's just not enough good tight ends to make me want to roster two tight ends in almost sure 99 of leagues yeah because even in joku as good as he was in the construct of the context of the tight end position position like what still are we getting in terms of overall scoring right mm-hmm. like what were we still getting like you, you've got to have running back stashes. You've got to have wide receiver stashes uh, just because the ceilings are so much higher. Uh, whereas like, yeah, you might concede a little bit of tight end points in context of the position, but what are you really sacrificing uh, overall for your team? And probably not a whole lot, right? Speaking like, of the same thing, like the, the perfect definition of that is Tyler Conklin as well for deeper leagues because he won't score a touchdown. But uh, like we saw at the beginning of the season from Joe Flacco, he popped up again from Zach Wilson this past week whenever Corey Davis got injured and had a 23% target share. So I think that about runs it out. I actually think there are a lot of tight end options. The issue is none of them matter. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of the, the one bugaboo, but we still have to play these guys. Correct. Uh, unless, you know, your league gets your league gets rid of these guys. But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I'll get you out of here. A couple more, couple more things here. Um uh, DK Metcalf was uh, injured last week. It's it's pretty om- ominous that he'll play this week and very vague when we will see him play uh, next. Uh, Pete's in his bag already and not really giving us very, very much information. Uh, as we saw with like the Chris Carson thing, like who knows with Pete, like yep. we're just, we're never going to know. Um, but Tyler Lockett, where does he vault, you know, not just for this week, but just say just for the meantime, while the DK Metcalf's out, uh, and then the reserves here. Are you doing anything with Marquise Goodwin, Dwayne Eskridge? Uh, what are we doing with these guys? I do like both, actually, this week, long-term in particular for Tyler Lockett, but this week without DK Metcalf. Uh, Tyler Lockett this year has seen a 27% target share with DK Metcalf off the field. But more importantly, we know Wink Martindale is the same, the same guy wherever he goes, just in his bag of tricks. He's calling a league high 45% blitz rate. And Geno Smith quietly has the league's second highest completion rate for 7.2 yards per attempt against the blitz this year. More importantly, Geno Smith is also quietly top five in completion rate, 20 plus yards downfield. And Tyler Lockett has averaged uh, 14 yards per catch this year against man coverage, which the Giants and blitzing also leave all their guys on an island with a lot of cover one. So I, I do love the matchup for Lockett without DK Metcalf this week, but also Marquise Goodwin is important for that note I mentioned with Smith completing passes downfield because that's where Goodwin for his career as an Olympic sprinter has historically spiked production. But last week as well came right off the bench, uh, 43 yards, two targets, both caught for two touchdowns, 20 yards downfield. So I actually like both of them this week, honestly. Yeah, Marquis Goodwin, uh, one of those all-time like good guys. I don't know if you, you you know a lot of people like know like stuff that's happened with like him, him and his wife when they were in San yeah. Francisco. Like it, just a guy you want to root for. You you want Marquis Goodwin to to run into a lot of good things. Uh, easy guy to root for. Uh, and he caught that first touchdown with DK Metcalf on the field last mm-hmm. week too. So it's not just the one of these things where Metcalf was out and he caught these two touchdowns. Are we going to get two touchdowns every week? No, but like, yeah, the opportunities there because Geno's playing good. The Seahawks have generally played good football the entire year too. Um, the Seahawks are like one of the, like the, the the teams that have done well where like you don't feel like it's as fluky as some of the teams, right? When you look at the Jets or the Giants, when you're like factoring in like luck or like winning these close games, but like the Seahawks are one of these teams where like you look at it and you're like yeah that's like this is like what they're doing and how they're winning like like we could they could play this way the rest of the year uh jets fans may get offended by it but i mean the seahawks have i think the seahawks have the best draft class of this year given everyone they're playing from boy mafe abe lucas uh tariq woolen uh uh charles cross ken walker like Man, like what production you get out of those guys starting yep. and making impacts immediately. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, you know, Pete, for as much fun as we made it him, Pete changed his ways. And so far, it's right. Yeah, who knew? And the optics of everything that Russell Wilson's doing are just who so knew it was, it was actually like the 250 million quarterback getting in the way. I mean, and, and listen, I, I don't want to attack right. anyone personally. Like, I'm sure Russ is a great dude, but like, I mean, it's like everything. I can't tell like what's real and what's a parody anymore. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, he's like Michael Scott now. 
uh like he, it's That's almost a like comparison it's almost like he's not a real person and i don't know how to handle like anything that that comes about uh with russ uh let's do real, real quick hits on just the you know uh this week eight landscape here we do a dfs show and anyone can kind of like get like our thoughts on like the big picture stuff but, like give me a game that uh you're most looking forward to that like might not be as popular as consensus like right we know like miami D- uh detroit's gonna be popular uh and you know, just and maybe Saints uh, Raiders, but like hit me, hit me with some uh, oddball here because I know you're always good for these. I, I still think that Giants Seahawks is the most interesting one. Um, Geno Smith has let us down two weeks in a row, and so I don't think people will get there. But for all the reasons I mentioned, I think Seahawks passing game is great. Uh, who doesn't want to play Ken Walker in any spot? Um, Ten of Walker's 49 carries these past three, two and a half games in place of Rashad Penny have gone for 10 plus yards. Like literally all the guy does is run for long gains his entire career. It's, it's incredible. So I like Ken Walker as well. Uh, Daniel Jones, we mentioned has a rushing floor and an ugly quarterback slate where if Jalen hurts fails, anyone can win tournaments. So I think Daniel Jones is interesting. And then you can also play Saquon Barkley if you choose to. So I think there are a lot of ways to go with that game as the, fill-ins the guys you drop in around the chalk yeah i like that uh maybe maybe it ends up being the same answer but you know we have no josh Allen on the main slate this week so that leaves just jalen hurts like as the apex kind of you know guy that can get one of these like high 30 point ceilings he's mm-hmm. probably going to be team jam him in for a lot of people but when you have a situation like this and it could be a larger game theory question for you when you have one guy like this and then you have the rest of the field where you only need one guy to fail and he's the most expensive guy you can pay for how do you handle the those types of situations in dfs and uh, how are you going to be handling a quarterback situation this week it usually comes down to what the rest of the field does it's you know we're recording this on a wednesday night we don't know just yet if everyone's going to chase Jalen Hurts because if they don't I also think he's projecting with a high ceiling on the slate unsurprisingly so maybe I uh take the one good half he has and then cry later on Sunday but overall I, I'm, I'll look at that I, I do think Geno Smith's in play you talk about game theory Sam Ellinger is 4k the stone men on DraftKings on a week where we want to play like Derrick Henry and skinny stacks but also um you know expensive wide receivers get some other expensive running backs uh, so, yeah, I think Sam Ellinger is legitimately a good play in tournaments as well. Uh, and, and then, of course, to uh, Tagovailoa, I, I'm curious to see where the field comes in on him, though. He hasn't been he hasn't been good. He had the one slate breaking game against the Ravens. But other than that, he hasn't thrown more than one touchdown in any other game. Last week, he was pretty bad as well. 60 percent completion rate, 260 yards, one touchdown, five drop picks on national television. But it's also the Lions. That's the issue here. We want to play our quarterbacks as we know against the Lions. So I want to see what everyone does. They probably get there anyways, but maybe we can sneak some two of double stacks in. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm real curious to see how the Lions uh, approach. Oh, yeah, we the need Dolphins. the Lions to be good too. That's that's the we problem. do need them to be good, but I'm yeah. curious because like Aaron Glenn, like they've been really aggressive, and you know, we 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 talk about it on the other show like that. It's hard to be aggressive against the Dolphins because they just have speed that no, like not a lot of offenses have. And if you're yeah. going to be blitz heavy and play a lot of man coverage against Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, like good on you, man. Like good on you. Like it's, you, you can give up some big plays in a hurry. Um, all right, closing closing thought here. Uh, you mentioned it's going to be a week where we do want to pay up for one of these wide receivers. We've got Tyreek against the Lions. We've got Cooper Cup against the 49ers, who he's destroyed for like four games in a row. We've got Justin Jefferson coming back, and we've got Devontae Adams again as potential leverage on Josh Jacobs. Uh, you, you only get one, Dale. Who's the favorite pick uh, for you this week? I did it last week, which is why it hurts. Because whenever you see Josh Jacobs go for three second half touchdowns and you're the guy who thinks you're sharp because you played Devontae Adams' touchdown leverage, uh, it, it pains you. But for all the reasons we mentioned about that Raiders Saints game being a sneaky shootout blow up spot, I will flag plant Devontae Adams over Josh Jacobs this week. Because, like, also with Marshawn Lattimore hurt, the boundary 
is where the Saints have been getting hit and beat up as well. Where Adams, of course, has run 66% of his routes this year. Uh, Saints allowing 12.8 yards per catch to opposing boundary receivers and a 5.5% touchdown rate. Like That's where Adams could go nuclear. And so I'm going to take the chance one more time, Rich. RIP me. Yeah, yeah, I know. I like I like that call, too. Uh, all right, man. Listen, it's, it's great. There's a lot of information, a lot of nuggets here. Week eight. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, what you've got going on and all that good stuff. Four for four football where the waiver wire and all of my, the rest of my DFS content drops. And you can actually get it if you DM me at not Jay Daigle on Twitter. If you're not following me yet, uh, I bet I could get you 25 percent off if you message me. And you may not think that's a good discount, but remember, like, we are not. It actually pains me when I say this. It makes me tired when I say this. We aren't halfway through the season yet. Like, (laughs) there is a lot of football to be worked on and done. So I can get you that code. Just DM me. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I feel like it's almost done. Well, Uh, guess what, buddy? We're only getting more tired from here. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, We love to see that. and that'll put a bow on this one here week eight in the books you know we always say everyone hit those cash lines win your seasonal leagues hopefully you tip something over good luck everybody we'll be back in week nine